listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Come on in, folks. We'll wait for you. You won't want to miss this. This will be the best message that I preached all week. So get ready to take notes. So we are all going to die. But there ain't no grave. There ain't no grave. Am I right? That's going to hold this body down. I'm telling you, I, I so, listen, I'm a musician, so I got to brag on the band a little bit, but that band we have is so freaking good. Like, they, they don't even rehearse on Thursdays like we used to when I was coming up in the church, and they just throw that together like 20 minutes before you guys get here. So it's just really, uh, it's a gift to us. The Bible says that you should sing songs and spiritual songs and psalms and hymns to the Lord and to each other. And when we when we have a good band, it really helps us do that. Amen. I mean, you could do that with a bad band, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. You know, so. So is everyone doing well? Yeah, I went to a funeral on Wednesday. Julie's dad passed away this past week and we did the memorial service it was at a Catholic church, and I had this very interesting experience. I've never experienced this before, but I came to realize that the Lord was giving me a gift this week. So here's, here's how it went. Um, first of all, it was a really long service. They do a lot of things in the Catholic church that I didn't know about, and I still don't understand quite what we were doing. But I was having a great time. In fact, at some point in the service, I turned to my wife and I said, that's it. I'm becoming Catholic, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you can learn... You can learn from people that aren't like you, right? You can receive the gospel in ways from other streams in the body of Christ that don't necessarily tick all the boxes for you, but you would, it would be a mistake for you to walk into a place like that and think that you know everything more than they do, right? So my, my thing is I go to these places and I just try to receive the Lord as I can get him, you know? So first of all, this priest gets up and he says, you know, the world can give you a lot of things, the world can give you a lot of pleasure. It can give you a lot of success, a lot of achievement, but the world can never give you faith. And I'm telling you, when he said that, there was such a weightiness to his words. I started taking notes. I was at a funeral taking notes from this priest. And, and, and I'm not kidding. He sounded just like the priest from the Princess Bride, like marriage. Not kidding. I'm Amy. Am I telling the truth? It was, this is how, this is how real it was. So you can get something from God anywhere. I promise you, you can. So anyways, we're going along and we get to the part of, we're going to take communion together. And I'm so excited. I've never received communion in a Catholic church before. And the, and the priest gives these instructions. He says, if you're not Catholic, put your arms across your chest like this and come forward. I'm thinking this is the secret handshake into a non-Catholic taking Catholic uh, communion, right? So I'm super stoked. Amy turns to me. She says, I'm not going up. Don't judge me, Andy. I'm like, honey, I'm not judging you. But in my mind, I was really judging her, you know? So she stays there. I go up and I'm about ready to receive communion. 
and the pat and the priest, he just blesses me and I don't get the elements. And I'm telling you, that sounds like no big deal, but it, I was struck. I was struck because for the first time in my life, I felt what it felt like to be an outsider on the inside of the house of God. And I really received, I was disappointed at first, but I received it as a gift from the Lord. It was like the Lord was opening my eyes to how it feels for all the people on the outside of our little church cultures who are desperately trying to get in, but we have all these obstacles in front of them. And uh, I said, Lord, I repent. Now, this is not a critique of the Catholic Church. and This is not anything like that. I was just taking it for what it was. And the way it affected me in that moment was I, I realized I do not want to be an outsider in the house of God. And the Lord was speaking to me. He's like, you're not an outsider. And everybody on the outside that people are saying are on the outside, they're not on the outside. They just think they're on the outside. And it's your job to preach the gospel, to tell those people that they're already inside. They just don't know it yet. That's the simple gospel. You're letting people know that they are the redeemed of God. And everything that God's been doing since the beginning of time is the restoration of all things. We're going to talk about that this morning. This morning, we are going to look at the book of Acts. And uh, I really love the book of Acts. I've been studying it for a couple weeks now. Um, I mean, I've read it before, but, you know, I've been giving myself to it for a couple weeks now for the sake of this morning. And before I begin, I want to say this to you. When, when I prepare to preach a message, my aim is not to encourage you. It's not to inspire you or to make you feel good about yourself or your life. That's never the way I think about it. We are not in the business of motivational speaking. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. We must trust the gospel to do what it does. The work of the preacher is to literally lean back and trust the Lord for, for what only he can do. The gospel is not necessarily easy to make relevant, but I trust it. I trust the word of God. I trust that the word of God proclaimed will bring about some kind of transformation in my life, in your life. This is why we sit under the preaching of the gospel. It confronts us. It leads us to Jesus and he is worth everything. Amen. A clever preacher might make you feel good about your life, but Jesus, the word made flesh will change your life. The book of John, the gospel of John says this, all things were made through Jesus. Nothing that was made was made without him in Jesus is life. And that life is the light of men. Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every woman and man. He was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. And the word, or you could say the logos or the logic of God, the thoughts of God, the word of God became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. 
but Jesus, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he declares him. You've heard this before. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus because Jesus is fully proclaiming what God is like. God is not an arbitrary person. He's not capricious. His aim is true and good. You might say that God has a mission. The book of Acts is many things, but one of its main thrusts is that God has something to do. God is doing something. And that something is not mysterious. And it has been explicitly communicated to us. The book of Acts is an account written by Luke. In the beginning of the book, of the book of Acts, we see Jesus doing some things. He's doing and he's teaching until the day that he ascends to the right hand of his father. He gives the apostles commandments, or you might say he gives the apostles a list of things to do. And he presented himself alive. Jesus spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the time between when he rose from the grave and when he ascended to the father. So he arose from the grave and he spent time doing things. First of all, he using many infallible proofs proved that he was alive. He was actually historically risen from the dead and alive forevermore. The second thing that he did was he continued emphasizing that the kingdom of God is here. And here are the things that you need to do to let people know that this is the case. So it's not like Jesus raises from the dead and everything's glorious. There is still a mission. There is still something to do. I hear people say uh, sometimes that I'm not a human doing i'm a human being and while i get that the fact still remains that whatever it is that you're created for god didn't just create you to exist he actually created you to do something your life would be terrible if you just woke up every morning and you were just a human being You actually need something to do with your life. And you're a chip off the old block. God's doing something. And not only is he doing something, but he's bringing us into that something with him. So this time spent between his resurrection and his ascension is he's telling his people, here are the things to do. So they're taking notes. They're listening to everything he's saying. And the disciples, after being with him all this time, witnessing all this, this stuff, they're still missing the point. You've heard me say this before, but right here is where they go. Jesus, is now the time when you, uh, when you enact the kingdom of Israel and we overthrow the Roman Empire and we come back into power again? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. All he says is, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you shall receive power. 
And what I want you to do is I want you to go over here and wait because you are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So not only does God have something to do, but he has clearly invited his disciples into this mission. Now they have something to do. What is it that God is working on? I actually really would like to know. That's not a rhetorical question. I'm asking that question, and I would like an answer, to be honest. I am 2,000 years removed from the book of Acts, and the world and the world these apostles lived in seems very different than mine. Do you, ever, do you ever get that feeling when a preacher's preaching, talking about something out of the Bible, and you're like, yeah, I have no idea what you're saying or why that matters? It matters. This narrative belongs to you. Remember, remember about a year ago, we were talking about God's story. And one of the things that we say, we, we would say is God's story is our story. It's important to read the Bible. It's important to know what the Bible says, because that is your story. That's the narrative that you have connected into. You should read the Bible because the Bible's going to read you. And you need to be read. We need to be read. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. I know it's hard to read, but give yourself to it. So my question is, God, what are you doing? So this is my, this is my, uh, this is my take on this. We find the answer in Acts chapter three. In the first few chapters of the book of Acts, Peter preaches a number of sermons. And one of these sermons happens because he has to explain himself. Peter and John, they heal a man who had been paralyzed for 40 years. This man had been begging for alms at the gate called beautiful. And Peter and John didn't have any money, but they tell him, get up and walk. And this man not only gets up and walks, but the text says he goes walking, leaping and praising God. He becomes a spectacle because he's received this radical deliverance from the living God. And it upsets the neighborhood. People are standing there in awe. The scripture says that they were greatly amazed. So Peter takes this opportunity to tell them what's going on. And in his telling, he gets to this amazing part. I've never seen this before. It just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. He says this, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from his presence And that he may send Jesus Christ to you, whom heaven must receive, get this, until the times of the restoration of all things. The times of the restoration of all things, which God has been speaking about out of the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. This is, this is an amazing scripture, guys. If you want to know what God is doing, he is up to the restoration of all things since the world began. It's, his, it's literally been his only activity since time on earth started. He has been in the business of restoring all things. Oh, I might just have you turn to your neighbor right now. I don't know. I got to resist temptation. (laughs) God's mission, the thing that he has been actively working on from the very beginning is the restoration of all things. If anyone asks you what God is doing, now you know. Since the beginning, he is restoring all things. He is restoring everything. 
The book of Acts is not the beginning of God's mission of restoring all things, but it is the beginning of the world living in the light of the incarnation, the life, the death, and the resurrection of God. Another way you can think about the book of Acts is that it is the beginning of the church age. It's really, it was, it's, it was the beginning of you. It was the beginning of you and me together sitting in this building together. Isn't that interesting to think about? The beginning, the, our genesis, the reason why we're sitting in this building, gathering together, singing songs, hearing this gospel, it all began in this book of Acts. Prior to this moment, this did not exist. Acts is the beginning of the church age. So in the book of Acts, we witness the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The church is formed in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see two main thrusts throughout the book of Acts. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the early church in response to the Holy Spirit. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to do a brief survey on the book of Acts, and I want to make a few observations. Sometimes what we do is we take a chapter, and we we just kind of go through that chapter, or we even take a verse or two, and we kind of like flesh out uh, a verse for you. But this is a survey, and a survey is just like we're going to lightly touch on the entire book. And uh, hopefully just tease some things out with each other that I think will really uh, be meaningful to us this morning. Okay, so here's my first observation. Some of this is going to sound obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways. The person of the Holy Spirit is very important. When Jesus was on the earth, he made this statement. It would be better for you that I leave. Because if I stay, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit can't come. But I'm going to go and I'm going to send him to you. It's very important that I go away because you need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. He is not for super spiritual people. He is for each of us. God means for us to live our lives in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is personal and we should cherish him. We should not suppose that we can do our lives without him. Over and over, we see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit poured out on groups of people and real change occurred. So in Acts chapter 2, that's the obvious story. It's the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But there's 120 men and women and women in one accord in an upper room. And they're just praying. And, and all of a sudden, this dispensation of the Holy Spirit occurs that the world had never seen before. And it changed everything. In Acts chapter 10, there's a Gentile man named Cornelius. He wasn't even a Christian. He hadn't even been baptized. But the scripture said that he was a he was a man who feared God and he gave alms to the poor. And because of his almsgiving, God responded to him. And Cornelius and his family were the first Gentiles to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. More on that later. This is my second observation for you. The Holy Spirit leads us into the unknown. 
So much of what the early church went through, what they were experiencing was new to them. There is something about God and the person of the Holy Spirit that is very, very unsafe. Most of us appreciate things that we can understand. We find security in being able to control situations. That is why many of us have a problem with the Holy Spirit. He often leads us to places that we don't understand. Or more accurately, he often wants to lead us to places that we don't even like. It is amazing how highly many of us have elevated our own understanding and preferences. The story of Acts is the story of a group of people who kept being stretched by God. As powerful as Peter's sermons were in the early part of Acts, he was still growing. He was still forming. He still had things to learn. Imagine preaching a powerful sermon one Sunday or whatever day of the week it was. And 3,000 people get saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and sign up for your membership class at your church. And then one day you find out that you're still a total beginner in God. The thing is, you will always be a beginner in God. You can't get so full of your own understanding that you think God can't show you anything new. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. What we think we understand about the Lord is the thing that keeps us receiving new things about him or from him. In Acts 10, we find Peter on a rooftop and he gets caught up in a trance. Do you know what a trance is? It's something spooky. It's mystical. You might not have a grid for that, but that stuff happens all over the New Testament. People have trances. They have visions. Angels come to them in dreams and out of dreams. The New Testament is a supernatural book. So if you're offended by supernatural occurrences, definitely don't read this. (laughs) But Peter's on this roof and he falls into a trance. He has a vision and Here, God is about to adjust Peter's thinking. Peter is entrenched in a worldview that he cannot in and of himself free himself from. You know, when Peter preached that message where 3,000 people got saved, he actually had the wrong worldview working. When Peter told that lame man to get up and walk, He didn't have everything accurate in his theology or his doctrine yet. In fact, I'll tell you, he was majorly off. Radically off. So he's entrenched in this worldview and he's, he's so entrenched that God has to send him into a trance and he has this vision and God is about to bring Peter and the entire church into the revelation that God had granted to the Gentiles, the non-Jews repentance to life. See, before he had the supernatural occurrence, 
the apostles actually believed that what Jesus had done for the Jews was not available to the Gentiles. They had completely missed what Jesus had been saying to them for three years. And even into the beginning parts of their ministry, they were still missing the point. You could be mightily used of God and still be missing the point. That should keep us very humble and walking very humbly in fear and trepidation, in the fear of God. That should cause us to not spout platitudes too easily. So my third point, the Holy Spirit will lead you to places that you might have to explain to others. So here's the deal. The believers in Jerusalem, they heard that Gentiles had received the word of God. So Peter has a trance. He has a vision. And in this vision, he's laying on this roof and the sheet drops down. And in the sheet, is, it's filled with animals. And all of these animals are considered unclean to the Jewish people. In their Bible, in the Bible that God gave them, there was a list of animals that they could not eat. And if they ate them, they would be defiled in the sight of God. They had Bible to back that up. So in this vision, these unclean animals come down and God says to Peter, Peter, eat, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, no, no. That's against the Bible, Lord. And again, it comes down again. And, and the voice of the Lord says, Peter, Peter, get up and eat. And, and Peter gets up and he says, Lord, far be it from me that I would consume this unclean thing so that I would be defiled in your eyes. What you're asking me to do is against all of the law and all of the prophets. And God's saying, you got your Bible wrong, Peter. The way you're understanding the scripture, you need a new understanding. He has to do it a third time. He drops that sheet down. And, 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 you know, Peter's into denying the Lord three times a lot. It seems to be a pattern in his life. God comes to him with a new revelation. And Peter's like, nope, nope, nope. Every time. So you're in good company. But anyways, he gets up. There's people at the door. An angel has visited this man, Cornelius. Cornelius sends people to go get Peter. Peter goes over to where Cornelius is and his family. And this incredible thing happens. It's just so good. I love this. Oh, my gosh. Let me. Oh, my gosh. Let me just read that real quick. Uh, It's in the book of Acts, which is the book that we're in. Does anybody know where that is? Ten. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) So Peter starts preaching and he preaches all this amazing stuff. And while he's preaching, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his family and all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, the people that were already in the in crowd, they saw this. And they were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. 
For the, how, how did they know that the Holy Spirit had arrived at the house of these Gentiles? There's only one sign that the scriptures give. This is so good. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Every time the Holy Spirit shows up, there tends to be a lot of tongue talking. A lot of tongues of fires, a lot of supernatural stuff. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Can, and Peter says, can anyone forbid water that these should be ba- not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And I think he did. But he goes back to Jerusalem and the believers in Jerusalem, they're freaking out. Because what they're experiencing is new. This thing where the Gentiles can be saved by Jesus, where they can believe in Jesus and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. This is a brand new idea. And for some of them, it scares them because they've been living their whole lives, keeping outsiders out and insiders in because that's the only way you can keep the insiders clean is to keep the outsiders out. This was a revolutionary idea and only the Holy Spirit could bring it about. So my point, the Holy Spirit will lead you to places that you might have to explain. The believers in Jerusalem heard that Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter went back to Jerusalem, they contended with him over it. It says they argued with him. They had to do theological doctrinal battle over this big deal. Peter had to explain this new thing that God was doing. And he said this. And as I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. As upon us at the beginning. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us. When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? Oh man, that's so good. (laughs) And this is this is great. And when they heard these things that Peter said, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So the Lord, the Holy Spirit will bring you to places that you might have to explain to others. And I don't know. You might not necessarily have the words. You might find yourself in times where God is leading you, leading your family, leading your church to places that you don't understand. But what I've discovered is this. In my life of following Jesus, I get way further with him and trusting in those things that I don't understand rather than having fantastic answers and figuring out everything before I move forward. That's really the call. We see this all throughout the book of Acts is the Lord is leading this ragtag group of people to places far beyond their understanding and preferences. Sometimes your explanation won't be good enough. And that is something that you'll just have to work out with the Lord. And I'll just leave it at that. So here's another interesting observation about the book of Acts. The move of the Holy Spirit produces eating, fellowship, praying together, 
and sharing your possessions. So I've talked all about this radical supernatural world that we've, you witness in the Holy in the book of Acts, but there's this radical ethic and practical thing that happens with a move of God as well. So I was struck at many of the practical results of a people who are being led by the Holy Spirit when I was studying this week. So I don't know about you, but I have these weird notions of somebody that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Like they're always like floating on a cloud somewhere. Or have you ever met those really obnoxious people that like they're in the prayer room all the time? And they're like, if they're not in the prayer room, they're talking about being in the prayer room. You know, it's like being a vegan. You know, you have to announce it everywhere you go. You know, if you have a prayer ministry or you are into prayer, it's like not really you know, your thing, unless everybody else knows about it, you know? So that's kind of the way I always think about people filled with the Holy ghost. It's like, there are these, they exist in a world that I don't live my life. in. I mean, I get up in the morning and I read my iPhone and I drink my coffee. I mean, I'm, I don't fall out of bed praying, you know, but, um, so I, I, I had these weird notions of what it means to be a person who is being led by the Holy spirit And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that these were normal people and the move of God never, um, never stopped the daily course of life for those people. So the scripture describes it like this. When God would move in a supernatural way, the conclusion was always that people began to simplify their lives. They lived very simple lives. So here's a list of things that Christians were doing in the book of Acts in the middle of a move of God or on the tail end of a move of God. So here's here's what their lives look like. You'll be so convicted after I read this list. They continued steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles. So if you ever ask yourself why you go to church, why you go to small group, why you gather with your Christian friends and you talk about God and you read the Bible together... Here's why, because that's what Christians do who are following Jesus. If you find that you're not doing that in your life, well, pay attention. You should be doing that. Here's another thing they did. They continued in the apostles fellowship. They got around those guys a lot because some things aren't taught. They're caught. They continued in the breaking of bread. So what that means is they can, they continued often in the Lord's supper and it wasn't just wafers and juice. It was an actual meal that they shared together and they broke bread together. Remembering the Lord. They did that often. They continued in prayer. Here's where it gets really uncomfortable. They had all things in common. These are practical things I'm reading to you. They sold their possessions and goods and gave away To any with need. This is all out of Acts chapter 2 by the way. I love this next one. They ate their food. With gladness and simplicity of heart. And they praised God all the time. That's just Acts chapter 2. If you jump over to Acts chapter 4. Here's what they were doing over in Acts chapter 4. But a lot of the same stuff. The multitude of those who believed. Were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say 
that any of the things that they possessed was their own. This is is crazy. This sounds like communism. I don't understand this at all. I'm just reading you the text, okay? They had all things in common. Not one of them, not one among them was in lack. All their all possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds to distribute to any in need. So I'm not saying you should do any of this. I'm just reading it to you and I'll just leave that between you and the father. Okay. But it's interesting to think how when God moves in your life, you move toward others rather than away from others. That's the trajectory. You become less, you become less concerned about your actual stuff. You become less concerned about all the money and stuff you have or you don't have. When God's really moving, you just hold all of that stuff loosely in your hand rather than clinging to it and trying to gain more of it. It, it must be really great to get free from the illusion of money. But that's what God will do. He will free you from your slavery of not having enough, from your slavery of the fear of not having enough. Do you ever read these passages and and think to yourself, well, that will never work? I mean, I read the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, and I think that. I mean, I'm, I mean, seriously, when I read what Jesus said, I automatically think that'll never work. That's totally inconvenient. And, and that's just an ideal that will never be achieved. But over and over, we see in the scriptures, the spirit keeps pointing people to these things. He keeps leading us to these things of simplicity. These people this multitude of people that was gathering in the city of Jerusalem who got, who were new believers and heard doing all these practices, they were an alternative society to the world that they lived in. They were a sign and a wonder to the city that they lived in because the rest of the world wasn't operating like this. The rest of the world was trying to get their own. They were trying to get more and they weren't distributing to those in need. This is a vision for what the church should be like. And I know it's hard, but it's like all I know how to, I'm just holding the scripture up to you. And I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but in your wisdom, lead me, lead us, lead us into these places, Father. You know, this is an interesting thing. When I was 24 years old, Amy and I, we made so little money. I mean, how poor can you be? Like we were... I'm trying to think of a metaphor, but we were pretty dang poor. But we were so happy. We didn't have anything. And I remember this. I'll probably lose my rewards in heaven for sharing this, but. I'm going to share it anyways. There were two times in our young and stupid life that we were totally broke, but I got a paycheck every two weeks. And I just woke up one day and I knew this family that was worse off than we were. 
And I just felt an urge from the Holy Spirit. You should give them your full paycheck. And I just went over to Amy and I said, hey, I think the Lord wants us to give my paycheck to these people. And I kid you not. She said, let's do it. I said, Amy, let's give our money away. And she said, yeah, let's do it. And we did that a couple other times. And, and my, my real point to that is that we were, we were just in a place in our lives where like ignorance was bliss. We had no earthly wealth. We had nothing going for us. All we had was Jesus. All we had was this, this ability to radically follow the spirit where he was leading us. And as I've grown older and wiser and more advanced in the ways of the world, it grieves me a little that I don't have that same ease about me, that the things that I've accumulated, I now want to protect where the things that I have gained, I'm now like, um, I'm doing everything in my mind to make sure not only do I protect that, but that I add to it. And it's not that being wealthy or getting earthly goods is a bad thing. But when that thing becomes a greater power in my inner man, than the Holy Spirit whispering to me, hey, give all this money away. And I'm, I, I will always argue with the Lord about that now. I never used to argue with that with the Lord about that when I was younger. And I, I, I kind of want that childlikeness back in my life. And when I was reading about these early believers in, in, in the house of the Lord, there was just, there was an ease about them. Like they ate together. They prayed together. They stayed in the apostles teaching. They, they grew in. It, there's one line that says they grew in grace upon grace. I just love that. It was like, not just grace, but grace upon grace. Lord, that's what I want in my life. I don't just want a sliver, a portion of grace. I want grace upon grace upon grace. And this is not a a call into poverty. I'm not saying anybody needs to, you know, I'm not saying sell your house and give all the money to Queen City Church, unless the Lord told you to do that. I'm I'm not saying that to anybody because I'm not giving all my money away right now. I just, I'm just not. I'm being honest with you. But I feel the draw of the Holy Spirit upon us that this is what we would look like if we paid attention to what the Lord was saying. It, what, what's so interesting about this description of the early church is that there's no political party anywhere attached to that description. Like, I'm sure that these people had differing views on the existing politics of the day, but it says that they were of one heart and one soul because their eyes were fixed on something else than the political spirit of their age. All right, I'm going to wrap this up soon. Okay, sorry, guys. My last point, the Holy Spirit will bring you to places that looked nothing like the place that you were before. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will bring you places that look nothing like the place you were at before. Okay, so lately I've been thinking about the good old days, the days when I saw God do something special. In my heart, I long for those days. I'm nostalgic. I'm nostalgic for them, and I can't quite figure out why God is not doing what he once did. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But here's the thing. I am realizing that God is just as comfortable with the ebb of the tide as he is with the flow of the tide. 
Okay? He is just as comfortable with the outpouring of his Holy Spirit as he is with the silent years. I am realizing from reading the book of Acts that God doesn't view persecution and scattering the same way I do. He is not precious about what he used to do. He is not sentimental about a revival that happened in the 1990s. If he is not living back there, then why should I? I think a lot of preachers hold up the book of Acts to people like it's this great standard of signs and wonders and salvations. And until we see that stuff on a daily basis, then we are falling short of our destiny. Let me say this. The story of God restoring all things is a very long and slow story. And any telling of the story that doesn't include long pauses is a lie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So if you take the text and you really look at it, there were times when God came in like a mighty rushing wind where the building literally shook where angels were appearing, where people were having visions, people were having dreams. And then there were other times when God said nothing and people were persecuted, people were killed, everybody scattered and there was nothing going on. And God was just as much located there as he was in the outpouring. And that's grace to us to know that when we find ourselves in the ebb of the Holy Spirit's flow, that we don't lose heart, that we don't lose faith, and that we don't put all the blame on ourselves for God not moving. Because God knows what he's doing, and you can trust him, and you can trust the gospel, and you don't have to see signs and wonders in order to preach the good news of his gospel. You can just show up and proclaim it and you can announce it. And if anything happens, that's great. And if nothing happens, that's great too. I'm telling you, the church of the future is not a relevant church. The church of the, the future, it's small. It's decrepit. It's irrelevant. It's not got much to say. It's not powerful. It's filled with people who have nothing but excuses left. It's filled with people who don't know what they're talking about. It's filled with people that aren't going anywhere. But I'm telling you, they will know us by our love. God is going to free us from the cult of personality. He's going to free us from the cult of commercialism and materialism in the church. He's going to extract the church out of the prosperity gospel. I'm sorry, I don't mean to come down hard on that, but I'm telling you, I feel the spirit of God leading the church back to a place of simplicity and grace and grace upon grace. So the early church experienced massive setbacks because you know why massive setbacks happen in life. And God is not shocked by any of that. We are, but God is not at the beginning of Acts chapter eight. We see this reality that if we embrace, it will give us great strength and grace over the course of our lives. When you pursue God, you will experience loss in the move of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Everybody wants to sign up for following the Holy Spirit when there's uh, uh, 10 years of conferences to follow after that. But when you connect experiencing loss to a move of God or a move of the Holy Spirit, very few people show up for that. Very few people show up for following the Holy Spirit if, if, if your life is going to look like nobody is going to know who you're, you are and your entire life will be one of hiddenness and prayer. But everybody will sign up for the stage. Not everybody, but a lot of us. I, I, was, I was one of those people. I'm, I'm telling on myself. In Acts 8, a great persecution arises against the church at Jerusalem. And the text says this. They were all scattered except for the apostles who remained in Jerusalem. So imagine this. Imagine you're a pastor and in your church, there's 30,000 people. Your church is thriving. You got discipleships group happening. You're baptizing people every week. There's a potluck on Sunday and there's going to be food like you never tasted before. I mean, it's just, it's an awesome church. Your praise band is amazing. You guys sell CDs. There's just so much good stuff happening. And then there's a move of God that happens and it looks like persecution. And everybody in your church scatters to the furthest regions of the, of the land. And you and your co-pastor buddies are the only people that remain. Imagine being an apostle or a pastor in a church of 30,000 people. And one day, every single one of your members is gone. You might come to the conclusion that that's not a move of the Lord. You might come to the conclusion that that's not a move of the spirit. But guys, it's the move of the spirit just as much as when those 30,000 people showed up. Are you tracking with me? Think about that. These were God's chosen men. They were leading a thriving, growing, successful church. People were getting saved, healed, delivered, baptized in the Holy Ghost on a daily basis. And then in one fell swoop, every one of them was gone. They became pastors with no church. Things changed for them. They woke up one day to a new reality. They had no church members anymore. So there is scriptural precedent for you waking up one day and not recognizing the world you're living in. Don't feel ashamed or embarrassed about that. I mean, am I the only one who's woken up in a strange land and wondered where I was? Or are, am I, are you tracking with me about this? Like you followed God faithfully for, for a few years and the whole while you're doing it, you're like, man, this feels great. I'm seeing fruit. Things are changing. Things are feeling positive, you know, and then one day you wake up because the spirit of God has led you to this other place. And you're like, I do not know where I am. And you give yourself to it for years and you can't catch any traction. And then you start assessing yourself like God can't be in this. God's not in this. I should go someplace else. I got to go find out where God is. Because he's abandoned me here. Anybody ever felt abandoned by God before? Yes. Praise the Lord. You're in the move of the spirit. I'm not kidding. You should be careful of your own judgment. 
You should be very careful about the way you measure your own life. Because it is possible for you to gauge yourself incorrectly. The Lord wants to develop a maturity in us, folks, where we're not gauging everything on how good things feel. There's a spiritual robustness that the Lord is giving birth to in his people where they are not um, dictated to by their urges, their emotional outbursts, their, I mean, all the different things that we go through and we submit ourselves into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we say to him, if you lead me to a place that's uncomfortable, I'll go there, Lord. I might not like it right away, but I will go. That's called playing the long game. You want to, if, if you're, if you're walking in the kingdom of God, you have to play the long game because the work of God restoring all things that he started at the very beginning, it's going to take a lot of time and that's okay. Cause time is all we have. You have, you have time. You know, people say life is short. It's not. Life is long. Life is long. You have a lot of time on your hands. You really do. If you're walking around saying, I don't have enough time, you're lying to yourself. It's not true. You have plenty of time. You have all the time that you need. The Lord is leading us. He's leading us into a place of trust. Where we're leaning back into him and we're not measuring the things that we see with our eyes, but we're paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Listen, I, I am so guilty. It, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, a, I don't know. You know, it's like if the temperature in the room isn't just right, if the music's too loud, if the preacher's off, if, if the usher looks at me wrong when he's taking up the offering, if someone doesn't talk to me at church, or if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, where's God? Where's God in any of this? The Lord wants to take us past that church. He wants to take us past assessing our lives and our community lives with that measuring grid. I told you I wouldn't bless you or encourage you this morning. Let's do this. Let's stand up together. I know I preached too long. I'm sorry for that. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry for that at all. Oh, Lord. Let's submit ourselves to the Lord this morning. Amen. This is this is what I've realized. As inclusive as Jesus is, he is still in the business of confronting my BS. He will do it. I mean, my friend Adam Russell, he's always saying this. Jesus is not a cuddle mouse. It is true. Jesus wants everybody at the party. He wants everybody at his house. He wants everybody in the father's house. He's just throwing a party. But he's also faithful to not leave me in the lies that I'm telling myself. 
And he's got this river of fire that's coming after every illusion in my life that's keeping me from my fullness of relationship with him. And I want my life to look like this book of Acts. I really do. Because this is what I believe. I still believe this. As dumb as the American church is, as much smack as people talk about the American church, we are the salt of the earth. And you wouldn't want to imagine this country without the church of Jesus Christ in it. You would not. I'm telling you, some days you just stumble in here and you say to yourself, what are we doing here? This is the greatest moment of the week. And this city needs your prayers. It needs this preaching. It needs the singing of songs to one another. It needs an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants you to grow up, not just for your own sake, but for the person standing to your right and to your left. It's not about you. It kind of is, but it's mostly about other people. When I get my stuff handled, my wife's life gets better. That's where you can start. You can start in your family. You can start washing the feet of the people that you're doing daily life with. Don't worry about getting a website for your ministry. Don't worry about getting a letterhead. Don't worry about starting a nonprofit, anything. Just like and love the people that you walk with on a daily basis and heap grace upon grace upon grace on those people. And we will begin to look like the simple church that we see in the book of Acts. Let's do that right now. Father, we submit our lives to you once again. This is a holy act. And we are, we are honored to be in your presence this morning. And we're honored for the call that you've placed upon our heads this morning, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you're faithful to not leave us alone. And we invite your confrontation into our lives, Lord. We invite it. However that may look, Lord. And Lord, the other thing that we want to do right now is we want to take our hands and we want to, we want to relinquish to you all of the things that we've been clinging to. And Lord, we ask that you would mark us as believers, that you would mark us as followers of Christ, that we would not cling tightly to the things of the world. Lord, I, we know you called this world good. All that you made is good. But Lord, we don't want to elevate those things higher than you. So once again, Father, we submit ourselves to your lordship this morning. And our prayer is that this week, this meaningful week of work and school and fellowship and play, that your Holy Spirit would remind us and guide us and lead us into your righteousness, Lord. For your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.